Let's uh, make a start. So, the Shabbos is Bahar Bechukaisa, double parsha. It's a special Shabbos for other reasons as well. It's Shabbos Chazak, which means the Shabbos that we finished the book of Ayikra, the third book of the Chumash. And it's also Shabbos Mevorchim Sivan. It's the Shabbos that gives a bracha to the month of Sivan. Next week's Rosh Chodesh, which of course is the month of the receiving of the Torah. Um, which means that this Shabbos sort of begins the preparation for Matan Torah, for receiving the Torah. I'm mentioning that because towards the end of the year we'll connect it all to Matan Torah as well, hopefully. So I want to just begin, as we always do, with a quick overview of the Parshas. So Bahar starts with the Parsha of Shemitah, the sabbatical year. Other years we've gone into that in much more detail, we're not going to do it today. But uh, every seven years the field has to lie fallow which also connected to the mitzvah of Yovel, which is every 50 years, similar thing. Torah promises a bracha, a blessing for those that keep Shemitah. Also, Yovel is a very significant milestone because in, in times of old, in Eretz Yisrael, uh, land would go back to its original owner, meaning it would like a, because in fields in biblical Israel was not sold, it was leased, long-term leased. So they used to go back to the owners during, during Yovel time. Um, the Torah also talks about people who are poverty stricken and end up selling themselves as slaves uh, particularly to other nations in the midst of redeeming them Torah talks about not making not repeats the prohibition of not making idol worship images and so on and so forth then we have the second parasha which is part of this week's parasha starts off with the promises of blessing if we keep Hashem's Torah and mitzvahs we also have the opposite in this week's parasha, the Torah, one of the two places in the Torah where it's quite harsh and, and tells us the consequences for not following in Hashem's ways and so on. The laws of Erechin about promising uh, money to the temple, to the Beis Hamikdash, for um, corresponding to the value of, of, uh, of the people. Good morning. Hektish also how to consecrate things and so on if one, someone wants to make something holy. Then we have an interesting mitzvah towards the end of the parasha called Tamura. Tamura means if someone dedicated an animal for a sacrifice and then, you know, maybe he doesn't like it so much. So he wants to sort of, he thinks he may be overspent on the korban. So now he wants to transfer the holiness to a different animal. Maybe that's cheaper or whatever. Or different. You know that to do that. And if someone does that, then both animals become sacrifices. So you don't gain anything. Um, and then towards the end of the parasha, which we'll talk about later, it mentions two particular sacrifices, which is the sacrifice of Bechor, the firstborn animal, and also the tithing of the animals, which we'll get to a little bit later. Okay, so that's just a bit of an overview. Now, what I want to do, just to begin, we're going to focus a little bit on the beginning of the, of the first three, on the beginning of the second parasha, Bechor Kaisa. So have a look at number one in the handout. And the Torah tells us the following. Robert? So the Torah is focusing on the blessing that comes from keeping the Torah. And the Torah says the following. Im teilechu. It uses the word im, which we'll see later why. Im means if. It really means when here, not so much if. But if you walk in Hashem's statutes, if you follow Hashem's laws in other words. And you keep his mitzvahs. And you will do them. 
Then Hashem promises us a string of blessings. What does it say? I will give you a rain in its right time. Right time, Rashi says, means when it's, in, when it's not inconvenient. Late Friday night, Hashem promises the rain. Everyone's at home anyway. Nasna, right? All these things, by the way, will actually refer in its completion to Mashiach comes. Right? That's the ultimate, this is really what it's referring to here. I mean, it's generally a concept, but, but it's referring to Mashiach comes, all blessings will be in an absolute perfect way. When Asati Ha'aretz Yevula, the land will give its produce, for Eitz HaSolit the fruit trees will give the fruit, and it continues on and on and on and on. Okay. Just, just as a side note, before we continue on, the Rambam makes mention of this whole concept of physical reward for keeping mitzvahs, right? And he, and, he, and he explores that concept, because really we know, we know there's two rewards. There's a mitzvah, there's reward, physical rewards that Hashem promises in the Torah for mitzvahs, and then there's the ultimate reward, which is the world, the world to come, which is much more spiritual and connection to God, and so on and so forth. And the Gemara actually says that the full reward for a mitzvah really cannot be given in this world, because this world is finite, and therefore a mitzvah is so infinite that really the mitzvahs cannot be properly rewarded in this world. So the Rambam explains that actually the rewards that Hashem promises, which are physical are not so much rewards, they're more about resources. In other words, it's like a worker that does a really, really good job, so the boss buys them really good tools. Like, you're a good worker, you're worth it, so I'll give you the tools to be able to do it well, even better, right? So, the, according to the Rambam, the concepts of physical rewards promised to us in the Torah is really Hashem saying that if you dedicate it to Torah mitzvahs, I will give you the security and the comfort to be able to serve me properly. So you won't have to be distracted from other things. So it's like kind of a test. If, you, if, you, if you're really sincere about it, Hashem will make it easier for us to do. And then to do more, because we'll, we won't have to worry about other things. That's the Rambam's view on physical reward. Okay, whatever the case is. However, what I want to focus on is what Rashi says, and I mean the, the first Pasuk. Right, because the first Pasuk is a little bit repetitive, as we know. We've, we've done this before. We're going to take it from a different angle today. And the, the Pasuk says, if you walk in my laws and you keep my mitzvahs and you do them, which is all the same thing, right? That's three, thing, three ways of saying the same thing. So Rashi says, no. Have a look at the Rashi. That's number two on the handout. If you walk in my laws, in my statutes, says Rashi, you might think the Torah is referring to mitzvah observance. So it's not. Why? Because in the next, next breath it says, and if you keep my mitzvahs, which means the Torah has already covered the concept of mitzvahs, keeping mitzvahs. So what does it mean when the Torah says, if you will walk in my laws, that you will work hard. You want a handout? On that table as well. Thanks, thanks for yeah. Right? That you will work hard. Now listen carefully to, to, to the expression. Yeah? Amelim means to work hard. You will work hard. You will toil in the study of Torah. Okay? Rashi says that the first part of the Pasuk, if you'll walk in my laws, does not mean to keep laws. It means to learn Torah. It doesn't just say to learn Torah. It says to to work extremely hard in learning Torah, to toil, to put in the effort of learning Torah, right? We'll see why we said that in a second, but we'll... we'll okay. So, uh, now, I think I've shared this to you before. I think some of the other Mepharshim 
I think the Kliyokar, if I'm not mistaken, further breaks up, further breaks up the Posik into three. Lisa, if you want to hand out, there's on the table over there. Um, and in fact, we know that keeping Torah, following Hashem really is three things. Learning Torah, which you have to do anyway, or we do for two reasons. First of all, to, to know what to do, but also learning Torah is a form of connection to God. Then there's the positive commandments and the negative commandments, right? That's how the Torah is broken up. So the Farshim say, according to Rashi, based on what Rashi says, that the Pasuk now we can understand it's three expressions. If you follow my statutes, that's learning Torah or toiling in Torah. You will guard my mitzvahs. Whenever it says guarding, that refers to negative commandments. And you'll protect them. You won't do what's wrong. Then you will do them refers to positive mitzvahs. Okay. So it's covered. So there's a number of things to understand in this Pasuk. Before we come back to toiling and Torah. First thing is, why does it say the word im? If. What do you mean if? Like conditional. If you decide to keep my mitzvahs, then we're going to do it, right? Because, now, why do I say that? On, on the one level, it sounds very good. Hashem's saying, well, it's up to you. If you do my mitzvahs I'll, or you learn Torah, I'll, I'll reward you, right? But the truth is that other parts in the Torah, other places in the Torah where it talks about reward for keeping mitzvahs or learning Torah, it doesn't use the word im. It's much more confident in us. In other words, it normally says, when you keep the mitzvahs, like as if Hashem's saying, I expect you to do it, but when you do it, it'll be good, right? But here it says sort of im, it's almost, almost if, if, if uh, a, a condition. So the base Halevi, uh, one of the commentaries on the Torah says, it's like this. He says, because as Rashi says, this first part of the Pasuk, the first expression, is actually a reference to learning Torah. We know that learning Torah is not just learning an academic subject, it's learning Hashem's Torah. And when you learn Torah, it needs to be predicated, it needs to be based on learning with respect. And he says like Yira, or as the Shulchan Aruch says, it needs to be with the right reverence to Hashem. And only then, the Torah sticks and the Torah is absorbed and the Torah has its positive effect. Now this is also based on a Mishnah. The Mishnah says in Pirkovus, I think it is, yeah. It says, Im ein yira ein If there's no fear of God, there's no wisdom, right? It's not like learning another subject that you can be whatever type of person you like and still understand the subject. Torah is Hashem's wisdom and therefore to properly internalize and absorb it, it needs the foundation of yira. So he says, this is what the Torah hints to when it says im, because im actually comes from the word amor, which means or. Right? So it's not actually only if you'll keep a Torah, but im also comes from the word amor, which means a reverence and awe for Hashem. And it's hinting to this concept that as a foundation of learning Torah, there needs to be this concept of amor, which is fear of Hashem. Okay. Now, why does Rashi, this is the part I want to now just pick up a little bit on for a few minutes. Rashi says that the first part of the Torah, the first part of the Pasuk is not talking about keeping mitzvahs, but it's more of a reference to learning Torah. But as I said before, Rashi doesn't say learning Torah. Rashi says toiling in Torah. Toiling in Torah. Working hard when you learn Torah. Now we know this is many places in Shas. We're going to talk about it soon in a few minutes. We have this idea that it's not enough to learn Torah. You have to work hard at learning Torah. It's called Yegiyas HaTorah. To actually learn, to learn with effort, to learn with to toil, to learn hard, right? Uh, interesting, actually, we're coming up to Shavuos, there's a, you know, Shavuos, we said, Nasev and Ishma, right? We, we will do it, and then we'll understand, we'll just take it on, and worry about it later. So the Gemara tells a story, in, in the section of the Gemara that deals with Shavuos, with Matan Torah, the Gemara tells a story of, one of the Talmudic scholars was learning once, and he couldn't understand the piece of learning, and he was toiling and toiling, and so much so that he was physically putting his fingers into 
don't know exactly the expression, but he was like, he was like in pain almost because he couldn't understand it. So, so a heretic, a non-Jewish heretic walked by and saw this happening. So he says to him, it's your fault. Amor Pazizo, you're a hasty nation. You shouldn't have rushed into this. Why don't you guys say Nasev Nishva? You should have checked it out. You know, you do your due diligence. Check out the product before you jump into it. Like, anyway, so that's interesting little Gemara. Okay. But that's part of our commitment to Torah. So how does Rashi know that the Torah is specifically referring not to just learning Torah, but to toiling in Torah? How does Rashi know this? So, you know, I don't know if you know this, but Rashi, being one of the first people that wrote Pshat in the Pasuk, Rashi has, Rashi has its own limud, its own learning. It has a lot of, there's a lot of commentaries on Rashi. Right? There are many commentaries on Chumash, and not commentaries on Chumash, they're commentaries on Rashi. One very classic one is called the Sif Seicha Chomim, who's printed, and whenever you have a Chumash with, with extra commentaries, next to the Rashi you'll see Sif Seicha Chomim, and he always, he comments on what, what was bothering Rashi, or how Rashi knew a certain thing, and he learns sort of Pshat into Rashi. So he says, very simple, he says that Rashi didn't just say learning Torah, and, but he said toiling in Torah. Because obviously Rashi proved that the Pasuk is not talking about mitzvah, it's talking about Torah learning, right? But then that creates a question. If it's talking about Torah learning, so why does the Pasuk say it in such a strange way? Why does the Pasuk say, if you learn Torah? So Rashi was bothered about that, and Rashi particularly picked up on this, on this expression of teilechu, Means you will walk in the normally, which means you will walk in that path, right? Now the term teilecha actually makes much more sense if we're talking about observance of mitzvahs. It means you walk in that path of observance, right? Teilecha Torah has got to do with understanding. So it says that Rashi understood from the word teilecha you will walk. That is referring to toiling in Torah. Walking means not just to learn but to explore, to keep on going further, to try to understand deeper. It's 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 going. It's going through the path of Torah in a deeper, deeper way kind of thing. And that Rashi understood was a reference not just to learning Torah, but to working hard in Torah. Interesting, the Balaturim who always has this wonderful gematrius, actually says that Im these three words, has the same gematria as Amelim Divrei Torah, working hard in the words of Torah. So that's also... Now, that explains the word teilecho. How does that explain the word chukah? That's very interesting because chukah, right? Again, we're just taking apart the phrase, right? We now have accepted this phrase a reference to learning Torah. So, but nothing about this phrase suggests learning Torah. So that, that's the problem, right? So im, we say, refers to the all. Teilecho, walking, refers to the toiling in the Torah. Now what's chukosah? Chukosah normally means mitzvahs, number one, statutes. Not only means mitzvahs, but actually means the mitzvahs that we don't understand. Which is not exactly what you'd expect from an expression of learning Torah, right? So the number of Mepharshim talk about it. The Orachai Makadosh says, um, the Orachai Makadosh says that it's called chukah because it's emphasizing the concept of the parts of Torah that, you know, when you learn Torah, we learn a, a new academic idea, right? That's, that's enjoyable. That's something that people want to do. I mean, they don't always want to start, but once they start, they get into it, they like it, and so on and so forth. But there's a part of Torah that is difficult, and that's hinted in the word of Chukka. What is that? Revision. To learn it again and again and again. Because there's this concept, not just learning Torah, but retaining Torah. Right? And therefore, often, one of the things that's most difficult, when we were young, you know, our teachers, our Torah teachers, my father, my grandfather, our teachers, always used to talk about... 
Medaf Chazer, and Yiddish is called Chazer, not Chazer as in Chazer, but it's Chazor, it's a Hebrew word. Chazor means to go back to it, to return to it, to learn it again and again, right? Mazedi used to tell me, you know, you know what a zgula is? It's going to be a good omen, right? Like, you know, they say if you, I don't know, if you do this, it's a good omen for long life or something. All this so he used to say, what's a zgula for learning? He says, a zgula for learning is chazr. He says, a good omen. You want a good omen to, 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 to know how to learn? Review, right? Why do they used to push it all the time? Because it's difficult. Because once you learn something, you've got it, and you think you have it, you think you understand it, it's actually difficult to go back and learn it again. Right? And to review it again and again, it's actually a difficult thing to do. So Arachayim HaKadosh says, that's what the word chukah is there for. That you have to learn Torah in such a way, even when you don't quite get it. You don't quite understand why you have to do it. You think you have it already. But no, you have to retain it, retain it for a long time. So therefore, that's a reference to the concept of chazora, of review and learning things many, many times. Now, I just want to... Um, just to share with you another little insight on the word telechu, right? Which is another reason why it says not just because toiling, but also telechu to walk. So there's a very famous medrash uh, based on a pasuk. Have a look at number three in your handout. The medrash, uh, the, the, the pasuk reads the following: Dovid Amelach said, "Chashafti derochay, I have considered my ways, my pathways, my journey." Now, the way the translation says it here is, and I've turned back to your decrees. I mean, I've come back to you. I've come back to your mitzvahs. Right? Almost. It sounds like sugar, right? The problem is, if you look at the wording and the translation is inaccurate. Because returning to your statutes would be, I have returned to your mitzvahs. It doesn't say that. It says, V'ashiva raglai. I will return my feet to your mistress or to your, to your learnings, to your mistress, right? What do you mean I'll turn my feet, my legs? What does that mean? So the famous medrash, the medrash says like this. Omar David, I'll say to you. David HaMelech said, Rabbi master of the universe. Every single day I was thinking, should I go here? Should I go to this house? Should I go to this place? But, my feet would actually take me Take me to the shul and to the base medrash to sit and learn. So I thought I'm going to go here, I'm going to go there. It took me to shul. So two points on that. One comes from the Chidushi Harim, which I think is, is a very, very telling point that the Chidushi Harim makes. And it's very connected with the campaign I've been making recently, which you'll see in a second what I mean. So the Chidushi Harim asks the question and he says, David HaMelech thought to go somewhere else? What do you mean? Well, David HaMelech had a struggle? I mean, David HaMelech, we know, who never wasted a second from learning Torah to the point where the Gemara says when it finally came time for him to pass away from the world, the angel of death couldn't get him because he was learning Torah every single moment and Torah protects and therefore he couldn't take him and he had to distract him with the whole story in the garden and with the tree and he had to make a whole thing so that David HaMelech would be distracted for a minute. And David HaMelech says that every single day he gets up and he thinks, well, maybe I shouldn't go to, to learn today. Maybe I'll go what? What? To, to the park, to the amusement park. I mean, where's David Amela going exactly? Obviously, he's going to learn Torah. What do you mean? Chashafti, I thought to go to this place or to that place, and uh, I ended up going to Shul. My feet took me to Shul or to the best village. What? The foundations. What? The foundations, you mean. 
You know, that's not Chiddush. Okay, it could be, but the Chiddush says something else. The, the Chiddush says like this. He says, no, of course, Bavala Melech's essence was learning Torah. But he says, I woke up every morning and I thought, do I have to learn in the base Medrash? I can learn at home. I can learn myself. It's Chiddush I discovered this yesterday. Right? It's right, right. I can learn on Zoom. Why do I have to come? Why do I have to come? Why do I have to come to the base Medrash? For all those listening afterwards, I'm not, I don't mean you, if you couldn't come, that's, it's, it's still good to learn it afterwards, but, but, right? So says the Chidush Sharim, the great, the, the first Gary Rebbe, is a great tzaddik. He says, that's what I'm like, says, no, my feet told me, no, you have to go to learn in the base Medrash. You have to learn a place of learning, you have to learn a place of holiness. If you'll walk in my statue, it doesn't only mean to learn. Rashi says it means to work hard in Torah, but it actually not only means that, it also means to learn Telechu, to walk to a base medrash, or to drive to base medrash, I suppose, right? To, to, to travel to a place of learning, to learn with others, to learn in public, to learn in a place of holiness, etc., etc. But the Kliyaka makes a different point, and he says, what does it mean that my feet took me every single day to the base medrash? So the Kliyaka talks about this concept, which also is important, that the Gemara talks about, about learning Torah. The Gemara says, when a person comes to the world to come after, after 120, so there's a number of questions that they ask a person. Right? So the Gemara says, Gemara in Shabbos, I think it is. Like, were you, were you faithful? Did you do business honestly? There are a few things that, that a person is asked. One of them is, Kovato itim la Torah. Did you set aside time to learn Torah? Right? Now, note, it doesn't say, did you learn Torah? It says, did you kovea itim? Did you fix times to learn Torah? There's a whole section of Shulchan Aruch that talks about the importance of a Jew setting aside time with commitment to learn Torah. Different. Kfius means that it's like a, a, a real commitment. That this is the time I set aside to learn and it's got to be very urgent not to, not to do it, right? That's, that's I mean, halavai, but I'm saying it's a hard thing sometimes. But, but that's the concept, right? Just like we set aside time for things that are physically important, right? Most people don't say throughout the day, you know, I would love to eat today, I just didn't have time. Tomorrow I'll eat, right? You don't say that. Why? Because eating is part of life. Similarly, when it comes to learning, a person has to have set time. That's what Kliyaka says. That's also hinted in this. That Dovar Melech says that my, it was like a routine. It became part of me. My feet took me every day to the base medrash to learn because it's like, it's like natural. It becomes natural and it's time set aside to learn to learn. Okay. But let's just go back to this expression of Rashi for a moment. Right. And talk about the concept of toiling in Torah, to work really hard in Torah. So we know the famous Gemara, I want to just talk about it for a few minutes, and then we're going to go from that into something else to do with Shavuos, and to do with the Parsha, um, and, 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 and come up with, with an idea. But we know this concept, the Gemara talks about it very often, this concept of having to put in effort to understand the Torah, right? So there's a famous Gemara, which we've mentioned many times, that if someone says, if someone says, I put in the effort and I didn't succeed. And the Gemara is specifically t- talking about Torah, learning. If someone says, I put in the effort, I didn't succeed, don't believe him. Conversely, if someone says, I didn't put in the effort, and I succeeded, don't believe me either. Because it's impossible. If someone says, I put in the effort, and I succeeded, then you, then you, then you believe them, right? So what does it say? So what are we talking about? It says like this. First of all, it's important to understand what the effort achieves. So the expression, and we've explained this before, but I want to just mention it, it's an important idea. 
So we know that the expression of the Gemara is, Yogaiti, I put in the effort, I worked hard. Umotsasi, and I found, I found success. It doesn't say, Yogaiti, Vehitslachti. I put in the effort and I, and I had success. No, I found success. Now, it's interesting because almost an oxymoron, because the word Motsasi, to find, you know in Yiddish there's the expression of Metziah? Right? What's a Metziah? Like when you find a big bargain in a, in a, in a shop or something? Right? A Metziah means when you find something that you didn't work for. That's what it means. Right? In the Gemara, it comes from an expression of the Gemara. When you walk in the street and suddenly you see there's a, a treasure on the floor and there's a whole halacha. Can you keep it? Can you not keep it? You have to give it back. If it has, a, if it has a identification marks, enough identification marks, right? It's all around this word Metziah. Metziah means something you find unexpectedly. So if the whole Gemara is telling you that you have to put in effort and only when you put in effort will you have success and therefore someone says, I put in the effort and I had success, you can believe them, then the expression is strange. Yogaiti, I put in the effort, umotsasi, and I found a metziah. Doesn't make sense, right? The answer is no, it does make sense. Because what the Gemara is telling us is we, we will not be able to learn Torah unless we put in the effort. However, if you put in the effort, the success that you achieve will be disproportionate to the effort that you put in. It'll be a metziah. In other words, you'll have success, but much more than you put in. You won't have any success if you don't put in the effort. But if you put in the effort, your success will be, but not proportionate to your effort. Because after, after, at the end of the day, we're talking about Hashem's Torah, we're talking about an infinite wisdom, we're talking about a connection to an infinite God. So therefore, we don't want the success only to be proportionate to our limited effort, even the very hard work that we can put in. Right? So therefore, Gemara is saying, no, you're gaiti, you have to put in effort. But the result will be umatsasi, that you find, effort, you find success which is like a metziah. Because you put in the effort. Right? Now, the Gemara says over there, interesting thing. And this is a, a really important perspective. The Gemara says, Hani mili This is true when it comes to learning. But when it comes to physical, material success, of course a person has to work, and of course a person has to sometimes work hard. But their success is not dependent on work. Meaning, of course a person has to create the vessel, as we've talked about many times. But in Mile the Alma, in matters of the world, the bracha comes from Hashem. So the Gemara is laying down a very interesting foundation. That spiritual success has much more to do with the human effort than material success. Right? Of course, a person, if he sits at home and does nothing, he won't have pranasa, but really it's about where do we direct our main effort in spiritual success. I saw a little good story, the Beis Levi, which was the, um, the first brisker, Chaim Brisker's father. He, uh, he met one of his students once. He hadn't seen him for a long time, he said, how are you, what are you doing? So the student started to tell him what business he does, and that Baruch Hashem, Hashem has given him success, he's, he's seeing a lot of achievements, he's doing well. Okay, so he listens. A couple of months later, the brisker of Beis Halevi turns to his student and says, so how are you, what are you doing? And he, he's sort of a strange, just asked my question a minute ago. So he tells him the same thing. It happens about three times, and until Beis Halevi said to him, I didn't ask what Hashem is doing, I asked what are you doing. And that was the material success, that comes from Hashem. That, I didn't ask you what Hashem is doing. If I would ask you what Hashem is doing, you tell me Hashem is very good to you. He gave you material success. Right? But I'm asking what you're doing. Because to learn Torah, you have to put in the effort. Right? That's why there's sometimes a switched priority 
people, when you ask them, what's going to be with, uh, you know, with education of your children or your spiritual success, people say, oh, the Abishta will help. But when it comes to business, they don't say, well, the Abishta will help. They say, no, I, gotta, I can't come to the shir because I've got to work, I've got to go to a meeting, I've got to do this, I've got to do that. What? It's the wrong way around. Otherwise, when it comes to work, we should obviously do what we need to do, but Hashem, Hashem will help. We rely on Hashem will help. But when it comes to learning, you can't rely too much on Hashem. You have to, you have to do yourself. Why? Hashem wants you to do yourself. Hashem wants you to put in there, Hashem wants you to work out. The question is, why? Why is it like that? Why is it so important? So I want to take it now to another thing which will lead us into the coming up to Shavuos. As I said before, the Shabbos, Shabbos Mavarchim Sivan. So a little bit of a perspective on how Matan Torah works and how, and how it was given to us. So, at the end of this week's parasha, right? as I said in the beginning, it's a Shabbos Chazak. It's the Shabbos where we end the third Sefer of Chumash. Okay. There's a principle I brought down in Kabbalah and other places that notes Tchiloson B'Soifon. When you have the end of something, it's always the beginning of something and the end of something are always connected. So I'm going to show you, this is based on a talk of the Rebbe, where he connects the end of the book of Ayikra to the beginning of the book of Ayikra. He does this a lot. He was very into this concept. Right? I'll see a very interesting connection, which on the surface there is much connection, but the, the, a very interesting connection between the end of the book of Ayikra and the beginning of the book of Ayikra. So at the end of Ayikra, at the end of this week's parasha, which is the end of the book of Ayikra, the Torah happens to make mention of two sacrifices, right? Now, let me just give you a background on what they are, so then we'll learn the Pesukim inside. The one is the sacrifice of Bechoyer. Bechoyer means, in temple times, when a, when a female animal gave birth to a male firstborn child. Animal, right? Similar to humans, by the way. Humans have the same, have the same mitzvah, right? The firstborn of a, uh, the first child born, if it's a male, the Bechoyer has a certain holiness, has to be redeemed by the Koyen, and so on. So in times of Beis Hamikdash, the first male-born animal of a female mother of, 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 a, of an animal of a child-bearing animal was holy. So how was the holiness? If it was perfect and it was if it was legitimate for a korban, it would have to be taken to the Beis Hamikdash and brought as a sacrifice. If it was injured or was blemished, then it can't be made for a sacrifice and it has to be you have to be able to wait until it's no longer. Fit for the carbon has to be redeemed, the kedusha, the holiness has to be taken away, extracted, whatever the case is. Okay. Incidentally, this halacha still has ramifications today, because we don't have sacrifices, but we but this kedusha, this holiness of a firstborn animal is automatic. It's not so it's not so relevant outside of Israel because it's got to be a Jewish owner. But in Eretz Israel, where you've got Jewish-owned farms, and if an animal is, is completely owned by a Jew and he knows that it's the firstborn, this animal has not given birth yet and gives birth to a male animal, it's a problem. And there's a whole kind of halachas, what you have to do with it. It's got to put it somewhere and wait till it sort of gets a bit of a blemish. It doesn't have to be a serious injury. It can be even a small blemish. and has to be redeemed on some money and thrown away. There's a whole way how to extract the holiness from it. But I'm saying it has ramifications in modern times as well. Okay, so that's the one carbon that the Torah talks about. Let's have a look at number four. So the Torah says, Because of there the Torah is talking about 
things that you can consecrate, you can make her holy. The Torah says, but a firstborn that will be given to, a, to, a, to an animal you can't concentrate, consecrate because it's already holy. Because if it comes from an ox or it comes from a sheep, it already belongs to Hashem, you can't actually consecrate it any further, it's already holy, right? So the Torah is making reference to this korban, this kedusha of a firstborn animal. That's the first korban. If you turn over, number five, It makes reference to another problem. Let me just tell you the background. The other problem is like this. There was a concept called Meiser Behema. That in biblical times, when a person would breed animals, at a certain point in the year, they had to take all the animals and single file them through a narrow gate. Right? And every tenth animal was holy and was brought as a korban. So it was like... It was like Tithing the animals. Similar to what we have produce, right? It's called Meiser Behema. How was it done? So as I said, it was done through, they would pass the animals through a small gate. Single file, in other words. And then every tenth animal, the owner would tap with a stick that would have paint on it to, to, to mark it. And that animal was holy. Let's have a look at the Pasuk. Pasuk says, V'chol Meiser Bokor V'tsoin. Any, t- any, the tithe of cattle and sheep all those animals that come under the stick, meaning the stick with paint, every tenth shall be wholly given to Hashem. Okay? So it's interesting, the Torah, the, the Sefer Yikra ends by mentioning these two sacrifices. Now, in the whole book of Yikra, we have lots of sacrifices. In fact, that is the book of Yikra. The book of Yikra is all about sacrifices. Many, uh, and, and, and the and the Kohanim, and the laws to do with Kohanim, and so on and so on and so forth, right? That's why it's called Leviticus, right? It's got to do with the tribe of Levi. But the whole Bukhukhaisai is not talking about Karbanis, but at the end, the Torah makes reference of these two sacrifices. So what's unique about these two sacrifices? What's unique about these two sacrifices is that they're polar opposites. The sacrifice of the firstborn animal is a holiness which the animal has naturally. It's given to it from Hashem. Right? An animal that is born as a firstborn, as I just said before, is already automatically holy. Where does the holiness come from? You didn't do anything for it. You didn't achieve it. You didn't consecrate the animal. It came from Hashem. Meiser, the tenth animal, the tenth animal, that it needs to be holy, and that holiness comes by counting out all ten animals, and then the tenth one becomes holy, that's the holiness which we implement. We do it. We make the holiness. Right? Okay. Now, before we go to the connection to the beginning of Ayikra, this concept, okay, this concept is true with everything. In other words, our whole life works like this. That there's a certain holiness which we have intrinsically, and then there's a holiness which we need to create. And it's very much connected Kabbalistically with these two sacrifices. Why? What's the Bechoyer of a person? What's the firstborn within the person? What's the beginning of our makeup, our personality makeup? Anashama, the, the, the depth of Anashama, otherwise known in Kabbalah as the Chokmash Shabbanefesh, that kernel of truth that rests within every single Neshama, within every single soul. Aramuna, essentially, right? 
Our Amunah we don't need to create. Our Amunah we have. Every Jew is born with Amunah. As the famous Chazal says, Yisrael ma'aminim b'nei ma'aminim. The B'nai Yisrael are believers, the sons of believers, right? We are intrinsic believers. No such thing as an atheist. They, they think they're atheists, right? They've talked themselves into them, but no, there's no such thing, right? Why? Because deep down we all believe. The Bechoy, the firstborn of our structure, of our internal structure, is holy. What's the problem? Why do we sometimes doubt our own belief? Because that belief system, that Kedusha, that holiness, that connection to Hashem has to then translate. Where does it have to translate? We know we have ten layers of our personality. It's got to be translated and extended to all layers of who we are, of our functionality, up until, all the way down till the Madrega of Malchus, which is the lowest form of operation, of behavior, that all has to be imbued by that Amuna. And when we're able to do that, then the tenth becomes holy. When we're able to take the Amunah onto all the levels, then that creates the ultimate holiness, right? That's, that's the Maisu. That's the Maisu behavior. Right? So that's how everything works. And, a whole, and, and, and just generally we know that, right? We've talked about this many times. That often what Hashem does is it gives us a gift of inspiration. And our job is then to create the sustenance the, the maintenance, I should say, of that, of that inspiration. So it doesn't disappear. That, it, that it's internalized and, and, and it influences every, every, every part of us. Why? Why won't it last unless we, 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 we make it last? Because we know that every time Hashem gives us inspiration and we become suddenly very, very inspired, we witness an amazing story or a miracle or, a, or we learn something amazing, whatever the case is, that inspiration actually is not talking to every part of us. Right? We've talked about this before. It's talking to the holy part of us. It's igniting that Bechoyer. It's igniting that firstborn. Right? But now it's up to us then to translate it and extend it and expand it that it has an influence on everything that we do. Okay. How does this connect to the beginning of Ayikra? Right? The book of Ayikra. So let's have a look. The book of Ayikra really deals with a very, very similar concept. And it's a concept which I've shared with you before in this Pasuk. The beginning of Ayikra. But let me show you how it connects. So the very, it's, it's, it's number six. Beginning of Ayikra says, Daber, it says, Ayikra, Hashem called Moshe, and he called him, and he told him he wants to talk to him. So he says like this, Daber, Rabbanai Yisrael, speak to the Jewish people. They are marto aleim, and tell them. This is the introduction to sacrifices. Adam ki yakriv mikem korban Hashem. A man, we'll translate literally before we give the deeper shot. Adam, a man, ki yakriv mikem, who will bring from you Korban la Hashem, a korban to God. So you should know how you're going to bring sacrifices. Mina behemo, you've got to bring it from animals. Mina bokar, from cattle. Mina tsoin, from sheep. Takrivu es korbanchem, you shall bring your sacrifices. Right? So, very simply put, the Torah is saying if you want to bring a korban to Hashem, any man who wants to bring a korban, man being person, not man necessarily, man or woman who wants to bring a korban to Hashem, it's got to come from the animal, it's got to come from cattle or from sheep. You shall bring your sacrifices. However, that's problematic if we translate the Pasuk that way. Have a look at the Pasuk. First of all, there's a discrepancy here. Adam ki yakriv mikem. Yakriv is singular, third person. See that? A man who he will bring. That's how the Pasuk starts off. 
The end of the Pasuk says, you shall bring, second person plural, your sacrifices. Right? That's, why doesn't it, why doesn't, why, where's the consistency? Where's the grammatical consistency, in other words? Right? Second of all, if the Pasuk was just saying that any one of you is going to bring a carbon, the order is, is wrong. It should say, Adam Mikem, a man amongst you who will bring a carbon. It doesn't say that. It says, a man who will bring from you a carbon, as if you are the carbon. You are the sacrifice, right? So the famous Lekutei Torah that explains this um, says the following. Now, this is not just a reference to regular sacrifices, it's a reference to the way we serve Hashem. We are the sacrifice. We are coming. Carbon comes to the word. Kiruv, to come close to Hashem, to connect to Hashem. And the Torah is outlining how the sacrifice works. And it says the following. Speak to the Jewish people and tell them. Adam. Adam means, over here, it doesn't, it's not talking about the man. It's talking about what we call in Kabbalah, as we said last night, the supernal man. Adam, Hashem. Right? Ki yakriv mikem korban Hashem. He will bring you close to Hashem. Yakriv, third person, singular. He will bring you close to Hashem. In other words... The initial connection to Hashem will come from Hashem. He will start the process. He will bring you close to Hashem. However, when Hashem brings you close to Him, He's not bringing you the whole of you close to Him. He's only bringing you on a Shammah close to Him. You're a Munna close to Him. He's igniting your godly part that, that you have within your, your spiritual part, your godly part, your faith part, right? What are you left with? What hasn't changed? What hasn't come close to Hashem? Your nefesh abamis, your animal soul, your animal instincts, your personality, your, upper, your behavior, your, the way you, your functionality hasn't come close. Right. She says, but mina behemo, the animal part of you. And the Torah says, not everyone's got the same animal as we spoke about many times. Mina bokar, some people have suffered from from ox type of animalistic tendency, others suffer from sheep types, and whatever, whatever those are, right? Everyone knows their own animal, hopefully, right? That, I'm not bringing you close. That, takrivu es karbanchem, you, plural, second, second person plural, you, the B'nai Yisrael, you, the Jewish people, you have to bring your sacrifices close to Hashem. You've got to do it yourself. I will start you off. I will bring the neshama close. Right? It's exactly the same as the end of Ayikra. There's two karbanas. I'll start off the first four, meaning the good part of you, the, the amuna, the faith which is in you, the soul which is in you, that's holy on its own. I'll give you that gift. You don't have to do it. You don't have to consecrate that. That's holy. But the ten layers of your functionality, same idea. You've got a work to bring. You've got to consecrate. You've got to make it holy. You have to make it holy. Right? Okay. Same idea. So that's the way life works. Hashem gives us a gift of holiness. But it only talks to part of us, and therefore it's not sustainable. It'll go away, it'll dissipate as soon as the rest of us gets the upper hand. And therefore, if we want it to sustain, we have to make it happen. So, a concept which we've talked about many times, we have to understand, is this. When the Torah gives an order of something, Torah says part one and then part two, it's not just that that is the way it happens. I mean, it's not just an order of something. But if the Torah says part one and then part two, we have a, we have a principle, ma'alin bakodesh. You have to grow in holiness. Everything in holiness progresses. So therefore, if Torah gives us a, a two-part process of something, 
And that two-part process, part one and part two, the logical conclusion is that part two is higher than part one. Right? That's the principle. The problem with that principle here is that that doesn't actually fit with reality. Because part one over here is always holier than part two. Hashem does a much better job than we do. Right? His revelation, His gift that He gives us is a much better, it's much holier than the one we do ourselves. So the question is, why is the one we do higher? And also, why did Hashem do that? Right? But of course, as we know, as we know, just because something is lower doesn't mean it's not higher. What I mean to say, I mean, that sounded ridiculous, but what, what, I, what, I, what I mean by that is as follows. The, there's an there's a, there's a expression brought down in a, in a book called Hayoim Yoim. It says the following. It says, Hecher is, I'll say it in Yiddish, it's a beautiful expression, and I'll translate it. It says it like this. Hecher is aminemt faranhant. Tifer is amigeitalein. Which means like this. It's higher, you reach a higher level if you led by the hand. You reach a deeper level if you walk yourself. What does that mean? It means like this. Hashem does a better job than we do. There's no question. However, what does Hashem really want? What's the purpose of creation? We know, we've said it many millions of times, the purpose of creation is that Hashem wanted what we call a diro betachtoinim, a dwelling place down here in this lowly world. Hashem didn't want to live in the upper holy world. He wanted to live down here. So Hashem wanted us to invite Him in and to make Him comfortable and He should be revealed in this lowly existence. Correct? However, there's two parts to understand that. Part of this concept that Hashem wanted what we call this Dira Betachtonim, He wanted to live in this world. Part of that mission is not just He wanted to live here. He wanted this world to make the dwelling place, to build the home. In other words, there's two ways Hashem could live here. He can create a world where He's not obvious and then He can walk in. Right? So I can, I can, I can build you a house, which I'm not the owner of. You can move in and then one day I arrive and I'm here. Hashem can do that. He has the power to do that. That would defeat the whole purpose. What it means when we learn that Hashem wanted to dwell in this world, it means He wanted the world to facilitate that dwelling place. Right? And it has to be on all levels. Now, the problem of course is that because we live here, live here means by definition we live in a place which is a lowly existence, meaning a place where God is not obvious, a place where we disconnected to God in a revealed way, a place where we don't feel godly, we don't feel spiritual. So for us to build a home, we need a bit of assistance. So God will start the process. He talks to the Chochmah of our nefesh, he talks to our Amunna, he ignites our soul, does that. He starts the process. He took us out of Mitzrayim, right? All that kind of stuff. But he says, I'm just going to start. But I want you, part two is the Meister. Part two is Takrivu, you elevate your animal. Part two is you make it happen. And you know what? You make it happen. It's not, it's not going to be as good as what I do. But it'll be much deeper because that's what I want. And what Hashem wants is Him. Right? Just to give you a little analogy, right? Let's say if I, if I really want something, I ask you to go to a store to get me something, right? And you go and get me something much better. More expensive. But it's not what I wanted. So you bring it to me and I say, that's not what I wanted. But it's better, right? And the answer is, it is better. 
but it's not what I want. It's not me. So you have another mission. So in other words, to, 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 to be inspired, to rely on Hashem's inspiration will be better, but it's not closer to God. It's not deeper. It's not what Hashem wants. Hashem wants us to make the dwelling place, even if it's less perfect than His dwelling place, than if He does the job. Right? And therefore the whole purpose is, that's why it's part two, the whole purpose is when we change our animal soul. The whole purpose is when we bring Hashem into the ten levels of our soul. So when, at the end of Bukhul Kaisa, when it talks about these two sacrifices of the firstborn and the, and the, and the tithing, tithing of the animal, tithing the animal is second. Not only because it comes second, but because it's greater than the first. It's not as holy as the first, it's not as perfect as the first, but it's deeper than the first. And it's much higher than the first, because that's what Hashem wants. Now, because we're coming close to, to Shavuos, and Shavuos we celebrate Matan Torah, the giving of the Torah, which is, by the way, the foundation of everything that we do. I always say it's really a shame that Shavuos, the Yontav of Shavuos, is a little bit ignored, because it's actually the most important Yontav. Right? It's, it's, it's really where everything else starts. Nothing else comes if you don't have Matan Torah, right? Our whole, exi- our whole identity of the Jewish nation comes from Mount Sinai. So we have the story of the giving of the Torah. So I want to share with you an interesting detail of the giving of the Torah, which will bring up the very same concept that we, just, that we just spoke about now. We know that when Hashem gave the Torah, so the giving of the Torah was one of the greatest, re- not, not one, was the greatest revelation of all time. Right? Hashem chose us as a nation. That's when we became His nation. That's when we created the connection, the real halachi connection and the spiritual connection to Hashem. It began with going out of Egypt, but it really culminated at the giving of the Torah. And it was a moment of clarity. It was the moment of the deepest and clearest moment that the Jewish people ever, ever, ever witnessed, which was this clarity of Hashem's revelation. And it was Hashem giving us the revelation. Of course, He didn't give us... He revealed Himself to us and then withdrew so that we should, we should make it happen, as we just spoke about before. But part of the revelation of Matan Torah, which was Hashem coming down to reveal Himself to us, was that the Torah describes the sound effects, the dramatic sound effects that took place. And essentially the Torah gives us a few different things that, that happened. What, what happened? It says that the Jewish people saw thunder, like miraculous thunder, miraculous lightning. There was the voice of the shofar that Hashem was blowing that got stronger and stronger throughout the whole process. And then there was smoke on the mountain, so to say, smoke on the mountain, which represented the Shekhinah, the, 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 the divine presence. Out of all these sound effects, or all these props, I suppose you can call them, spiritual props to, to, to emphasize the whole process of Matna Torah, there's one that the Torah talks about in more detail, and that's the smoke on the mountain. And let's read the Pasuk together. Pasuk says, it's, it's number seven. The Har Sinai Oshan Kulai. And Mount Sinai was all in smoke. Because Hashem came down upon it in fire. Part one of the Pasuk. Then the Pasuk says, And the fire smoke, the smoke rose like the smoke of a kiln, like a, an oven, right? And the entire nation, the entire mountain trembled. So it says that the, the, the Harsina was in smoke, 
because Hashem had come down to Harsina in fire. Obviously, we're talking about spiritual fire representing the divine revelation and so on. And then the pasuk, which is understandable. I mean, this we understand. It came down with this fire or physical fire, and it was creating a smoke. But then the pasuk continues, says, "No, the mountain was uh, the, the smoke rose like smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled." What is that addition? Why do we need to know that it was smoking like a kiln, right? <coughs> so the Arachaim, the Rabchaim and Atar, the famous Kabbalist who lived about 300 years ago and has the ma- amazing commentary on Chumash, makes the following point. Have a look, have a look at number 9. It says, Ashan Kulay, the Harsinei was all in smoke. He says, what do we learn from the second part of the Pasuk? He says, Pirush. This is the explanation. Shasholat ho'esh he says, what happened was when the fire came down, it wasn't just a fire burning on the mountain, creating a, 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 a film of smoke around the mountain. No. He says the fire took hold in the actual mountain. The Nisrafu Avonov and the stones of the mountain began to burn. How do stones burn? He says, like a kiln. That I'm not sure I've never burned stones in a kiln, but apparently the, the, the actual stones start to burn, and you do that when you want to make seed, which I think is like plaster or cement, right? So the stones of our Sinai became seed, which is like, like um, plaster, I guess, some sort of right? And then it says, and, and then that's why it says that the mountain trembled. Why? Because the way of stones, when fire takes hold of them, in a kiln, they start to shake apparently, and they give off the sound of trembling. That's what the Rachaim says. What's the Rachaim getting at? What is he trying to tell us? So the Farshim explained a beautiful idea. Hashem had different sound effects. The voice of the shofar, the, light, the, fight, the lightning, the thunder. What do all those refer to? They refer to the revelation of Hashem as He came down to reveal Himself to us. Right? But says the Torah, that's not the purpose of Matan Torah. The purpose of Matan Torah is the fourth sound effect. The smoke. Why? The smoke is just a derivative of the same thing. Hashem came down in fire, so was smoking. Says the Apostle, no. And the Horachim explains. It didn't come, the smoke didn't come from Hashem's fire coming down. The smoke came that the mountain started to smoke. The mountain burnt. What's the symbolism of that? That the mountain changed. The world has to change. Not just be a recipient of some revelation from above, but the mountain has to elevate itself. The mountain has to become different. Which is the first explained, that's also the symbolism why the Torah was given on a mountain. Many, many reasons for it. One of the ideas is, because the mountain is symbolic what is the mountain made up? We know that there's four parts of existence, right? The inanimate, the, the vegetation, the animal, and the human being. The stones are part of domain, it's part of the inanimate object. Stones are the lowest part of creation. What's a mountain? A mountain is symbolic how the lowest part of creation elevates. That's a mountain. And that's the purpose of mountain terror. That's why the Torah makes a big fuss out of the smoke. Because the Rahim says it wasn't just smoke coming from a revelation from above, it was smoke that the mountain started to burn. And that's the same idea as these two carbonists. The Maiser, the Korban of Bukhari is the Kedusha that Hashem gives us, but it doesn't, it doesn't permeate the creation. The Maiser, the second Korban, is when we elevate, we extend that Amunah, we extend that Kedusha to every part of us that we change. Similar to the beginning of Ayikra. 
Hashem says, I will bring you as a carbon, as a carbon, but I'm only going to inspire your godly soul. But you have to change. It's not good enough that you work under the inspiration that comes from above because that means you didn't change. It won't last, but even while it does last, you haven't changed. The mountain has to change. The mountain has to smoke. Now, the mountain smokes it might not be as great as the fire coming down from heaven, but it's what Hashem wants and it's the purpose of creation. So that's the connection between the end of Bukhu Kaisai, the beginning of Ayikra, and the giving of the Torah. All right. Thank you, Welcome.